Hello and welcome to the SAGE podcast of the special issue of Leadership Ethics in Africa in the journal Leadership. I'm Joanne Chula from the Jepson School of Leadership Studies at the University of Richmond in Virginia. I co-edited this issue with my colleagues Petrus Stridum from the University of Fort Hare in South Africa and Vincent Luizzi from Texas State University, San Marcos. I am here with Assam Edom Temple from the American University of Nigeria. The title of Assam's article is Metaphysical Challenges of Ethical Leadership in Africa. Assam. In your paper, you argue that it is wrong to trace all of the problems with leadership in Africa to corruption, greed, poverty, ethnicity, or colonialism. You write, and I quote, Whenever we attempt to interrogate these perspectives, we find ourselves sailing through a labyrinth. In the end, we are led to the vicious circle where we know not whether these factors are causes or are in themselves effects of unethical leadership in Africa. Would you describe some of the other factors in your paper that account for unethical leadership in many African nations? Thank you very much, Joanne. Greed, corruption, poverty, IMF, and so forth are sociopolitical. The real challenges of ethical leadership in Africa are metaphysical. Let me summarize my paper. The first point I have made in my paper is that the metaphysics of our people determine their leadership behavior. When we wear blue eyeglasses, we see the world as blue and therefore relate with it accordingly. When we wear red eyeglasses, we see the world as red and relate with it accordingly. When we wear bright and unstained eyeglasses, we see clearly a whole universe and its interconnectivity. When we wear broken and fragmented eyeglasses, we see the world as broken, disjointed and fragmented and therefore respond to it from that perspective. The second point I have made in my paper is that the challenges of ethical leadership in Africa are fundamentally metaphysical. The shrine is still very important. The family, the clan, and the religion are still very important. What do they do? They diminish the importance of the state. Many African leaders are unable to see the world beyond their primordial allegiances. Many African leaders fail to rise above the narrow prejudices of their religion, cult, or clan. The clan therefore becomes a threat to the prospects of a holistic and global vision. The leader of the modern African state is expected to be fair to all, but more often than not, they find themselves seeking to preserve and protect the interests of their clans. Number three, if you say the leader is irresponsible, the question is why is the leader irresponsible? If you say the leader is greedy, why is the leader greedy? If you say the leader is corrupt, why is the leader corrupt? At bottom, I have argued that these are outcomes of metaphysical worldviews and allegiances. Number four, I have argued that there is a line connecting worldview to moral leadership and economic development. As the boundaries of the clan grow thinner, the possibilities of moral leadership grow wider. There are at least three sources of metaphysical conflicts in Africa. The clan, the cults, and religion. These define reality for most African leaders. These leaders find themselves sandwiched between the demands of the clans or cultic groups and the demands of the state. Now, these two are very different. On the one hand, 
The state informs the leader that all citizens have a common destiny. On the other hand, the clans and courts place citizens against one another. On the one hand, the state demands loyalty to the constitution. On the other hand, clans and courts demand loyalty to personalities and folk heroes. On the one hand, the state gives the leader the picture of a united nation. On the other hand, the clans give the leader pictures of a broken universe. Whereas the state expects its leaders to be transparent, the clan permits the leaders to use all means to slice what they call the national cake for their benefit. So what we have in most African countries is that the state is still an abstract entity without much emotional significance, while the clan provides emotional and social security to the individuals. Well, uh, no surprise, the clan or cult or religion is there at birth, is there during circumcision or initiations, helps choose a wife or a husband, is there during marriages and burials, and at the beginning and end of the farming or hunting season. This is the reality of the African situation. The leader was born in a state that demands so much but gives very little. Therefore, most African leaders are unable to become real state, statesmen or have a global vision because of their commitments to their clans, religions, or cultic groups. The modern state from inception was the enemy of the people. It was foisted on the people in the colonial era. It conquered the people and exploited their resources. In the days of the military, it subjected the people to all kinds of humiliation while running the economy to the ground. The state was therefore an enemy, not a friend, with all its secret police and so on. For the state to have worked effectively, it required a theoretical framework. It needed to be aligned to the metaphysical reality of the people. New concepts ought to have been created by African intellectuals. These are the things Nkrumah, Nyerere, Senghor, and early nationalists tried to do. They tried to give metaphysical significance to the modern state by aligning its ideals with the African metaphysical reality. After them, of course, there were military coups in many African countries. Of course, the military leaders did not have the intellectual capacity to develop an authentic state. In fact, they had a disdain for intellectuals. The new African leader was not interested in pursuing the theoretical framework of the pioneers. So 50 years after independence from most African leaders, uh, the challenge is how to construct an authentic state a state that can unify and represent the aspirations of the people. Nigeria is, for instance, is still struggling with the question of identity, creating and constructing a state which will uh, uh, rise above uh, and overwhelm the uh, interests of the clans and the various ethnic groups. The leader today is trapped between the ideals of the state and those of the clan. African leaders are torn apart by discordant uh, metaphysical voices. They have to grapple with a lot of metaphysical challenges. Competing definitions of reality, competing notions of sovereignty, confusing notions of personal identity, conflicting beliefs in the supreme be being, conflicts between public and private space. In many cases, their wives and children get involved in the affairs of state. They are unable to distinguish between public interests and private interests. These inner conflicts not only heighten fear and insecurity, they also call, cause what I refer to as schizophrenia in leadership. 
the attitude of most people in Africa, in many countries in Africa, is that um, the resources uh, are seen as a national cake to be sought after, assaulted and ravaged by the various ethnic groups. The resources are seen as a cake to be sliced, dissected, stolen by competing ethnic groups. Morality is therefore not morality for the nation. It is what can be gained from the nation by any means possible, even if it means mortal injury to the nation. I have suggested in this paper a concept of transcendence as the solution to Africa's leadership crisis. A conscious effort on the part of leaders to rise above their primordial commitments and embrace a holistic metaphysics. That's the essential point uh, I have made in the paper. Let us turn to uh, a more optimistic question. What measures do you think are necessary to address the leadership deficit in Africa? And more importantly, what bright spots do you see in your own country and across Africa for the development of ethical and competent leadership on the continent? When I look into the future, what do I see? I feel sad that many African leaders have not learned to transcend. What is transcendence? It is a rising above from within. It is going beyond the limitations of cultic boundaries. It is the power to break through the barriers to vision. The greatest challenges we have to moral leadership in Africa have to do with the inability of African leaders to transcend the narrow barriers of the clan and operate as true statesmen. Many African leaders have not, met, uh, have not yet uh, learned to throw away the broken and fragmented eyeglasses. They have not learned to recreate the state and inculcate a new metaphysical worldview that transcends the cultic metaphysics of the clan and its values. To achieve this, I have suggested in my paper, one, a holistic metaphysics, leadership training, emphasis on social security, mass education, democratic governance, and adherence to the rule of law. Now, is there a holistic metaphysics being created by our leaders today? No. Do we have leadership training or mentoring in our schools and colleges in the society? No. Is there emphasis on social security? Is there social conscience? No. Is there mass education? What is the education index of our nations? It's still very low. Is there democratic governance in the authentic sense? Yes, there is some development, but largely we still lack the democratic culture. Is there adherence to the rule of law? Do our leaders respect the rule of law? In many places, no. I do not see many African nations doing this. What I see is increasing economic activity, increasing discussion, but there isn't much forward movement. This is what I call the Baba Chair development. So much activity, very little progress. You know, you sit in the Baba Chair and there's so much movement, uh, turning round and round, left and right, but no forward movement, no progress, no development. That's what's happening in many African nations. Nigerians are still battling with the simple metaphysical issue of nationhood. Some people just think that Nigeria is simply a geographical 
exp expression. It is not accidental that Ghana is beginning to rise up from impoverishment because the people are beginning to see Ghana as a metaphysical entity over and above the Akan or Volta people. It should be noted, and that's the point I've made, that whenever our morality rises above the narrow demands of our clans, cults, and religions, whenever we embrace a holistic metaphysics with a global vision, our development index also begins to improve. This is not accidental. It is evident that there is a line connecting worldview with moral leadership and economic development. As the boundaries of the clan grow thinner, the possibilities of moral leadership will grow wider. I am sure that Botswana is moving forward because Sir Seret Sekama, the leader of the independence movement, gave Botswana a vision that was holistic. They didn't have to go through all of the kind of um, uh, ethnic uh, uh, problems, uh, uh, civil wars, and all that, which many other African countries uh, face. So wherever leadership is progressive, is holistic, rises above ethnic, cultic, or religious uh, uh, pools, uh, that kind of leadership will take their people forward. Thank you very much. Okay, I want to thank Assam Edom Temple. That's a, a set of very, very provocative ideas, certainly for researchers who are interested in and digging further into some of these causes. Um, the idea for some of the papers in this issue came from the inaugural conference held on leadership ethics at the Center for Ethical Leadership in Africa at the University of Fort Hare. We owe a special thanks to Petra Stridum, who is the director of the center. I'm Joanne Chula. Thank you for listening. Leadership is a quarterly journal published by SAGE. For more information, visit lea.sagepub.com. Thank you and goodbye.